chapter number 1, Philippians chapter number 1. The book of Philippians begins in verse number 1. This we, we've, we've already covered the first eight verses. We're going to look at verses 9, 10, and 11 this morning and tonight. But I want to read verse number 1. And the Bible says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. What makes a person a saint? Is it because the Catholic Church says they are? What makes a person a saint is what Brother Steve and Miss Pam just sang about. It's the love of God that loved sinful man enough. I say enough, that's probably not the right word, but he loved sinful man so much that He sent the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth to live, to live a perfect life because He is God. And to go to the cross of Calvary and to bleed and to die and to be buried in a tomb and three days later arising victoriously out of that tomb, ascending back to heaven where He resides at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says, He ever liveth to make intercession for us. And when a person acknowledges who they are, they're a sinner, deserving of death, separation from God forever in the lake of fire. And they acknowledge who they are, and they acknowledge that someone greater than them has paid the price for them, that there's nothing they can do in and of themselves. There's no good works that they can do that are good enough. There are no actions such as baptism that can wash away their sin. The only thing that can wash away their sin is the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In that moment in time where they acknowledge that and they place their faith their trust, their belief in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And they call upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Then and only then do they become a saint. And by the way, then and only then they become a saint forever. They can't lose it. God's not going to take it away. By the way, the Bible says that God holds us in His hand, and nothing can pluck us out of His hand. Are you a saint this morning? I, I'm, I'm not asking, did you act like a saint this morning? I'm asking you, are you a saint? In the eyes of Almighty God, when He looks at you, does He see you, or does He see the one who died for you? Does He see your righteousness or does He see the righteousness of Christ that has clothed you and robed you and now you stand before a holy God right and complete and whole? And if you haven't, and if you'd have to say, Pastor, I don't know if, I, I don't know if I'm a saint or not, you can get that settled this morning because there's a God in heaven who loves you there's no question about it. There's a God in heaven who loves you. He paid the price for your sins to be forgiven. And the Bible says that we come by faith. It is by grace, His grace. It is by our faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. And if you don't know Christ this morning, I pray before you leave this place, you will. I pray maybe even before we even really get into the message that you'll simply right where you're at with a humble heart, just call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, Lord, save me. I know who I am. I'm a sinner. I know what I deserve. I deserve hell. But I'm thankful that you came to save me, and I'm calling on you to save me right now. If you don't know that, maybe that'll be your simple, simple prayer this morning. It's simple for us. It wasn't simple for Him. 
Philippians chapter 1 is where we're at, giving you plenty of time to get there. If you're physically able, I'll ask you to stand. We're going to begin reading in verse number 9. We'll allow the children to be dismissed to junior church and to toddler church this morning. Philippians chapter 1. In verse, uh, let's drop back and let's look at verses 3 and 4. The Apostle Paul, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And then in verse number 4, always in every prayer of mine. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy. We asked last Sunday night, what did Paul pray? What did he pray for them? And we mentioned a few things, but we find specifically in our verses today, we find specifically what he prayed for the church at Philippi, for the believers, for the saints at Philippi. Verse number 9, And this I pray, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Now, I personally believe that Verses 9 and 10, I personally believe that verses 9 and 10 is what he prayed for. And I believe verse 11 is part of the result. Now, if you want to say, well, I think that's what he, verse 11 is part of the prayer too, as far as what he's requesting, that's fine. And that's the way we're going to look at it uh, tonight. But verse number 11, he says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of of God. And so we're going to see four different requests that Paul prays for the saints at Philippi. We're going to see two of them this morning, and we'll see the other two tonight. And I want to preach to us, want to speak to us about this subject matter. How can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? I have an individual in our church who just about every week he will send me a message, and maybe sometimes two or three times a week, he'll send me a message, and he'll say, Pastor, how can I pray for you today? Can I tell you that's encouraging? <laughs> that's encouraging to know, first of all, that somebody's thinking about you, but secondly, to know that he's taking you before the throne of grace. Say, so, Pastor, how can I pray for you? Today. And by the way, he, he, he doesn't accept church requests. He says, how can I pray for you today? And in verses 9, 10, and 11, Paul shows us how he prayed for the church at Philippi. We, we mentioned this last week. We've mentioned it before. Many times we fixate upon the physical in our prayers this person has cancer, this person has COVID, this person has the flu, this, you know, whatever. We fixate upon the physical. Paul didn't do that. Paul's heart were for his people, for his people, those that he had led to Christ, to grow spiritually. And so he prayed spiritual prayers. And so we're going to see that this morning. How can I pray for you. Father, help us today. Father, just show us by this great example that we have in verses 9, 10, and 11. Paul's example of how he prayed for the church. Lord, may we take that and understand and, and have some knowledge of how we can pray for each other as a church family. So teach us that today and we'll surely thank you for it. Father, I do pray if there's one here today, if there's too, if there's a handful of folks here today who, who do not know if they are saints or not, they've never come to the knowledge of Christ, the saving knowledge of Christ. Father, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. Help us in the next few moments. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move amongst us and we'll surely thank you and praise you for it. We'll give you the glory for it in advance. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. How can I pray for you? Let me, let me give us... We're going to see in these three verses, we're going to see four ways in which Paul prayed for the church at Philippi. And we're going to see the first two this morning. Number one this morning, Paul prayed for them. When I say them, I'm speaking of the saints at Philippi. He prayed for them to abound in agape. He prayed for them to abound 
in agape. The word love here in Philippians chapter number 1, it, it is that word agape. Now, when you see the word love in our Bible, it's, it's going to come, in the New Testament, it's going to come from three different Greek words. It's either going to come from the word eros, which we would know is that uh, erotic love and, and many times is that physical and, and even more so to the lustful side. You have the word eros, then you have the word phileo, which is a brotherly love, and then you have the word agape, which is, is God's love. Now, by, the, by the way, phileo is God's love too. I mean, it's God's love, but agape is that, is that highest form of love. It's God's love. By the way, hold your place just real quickly. And, and go toward the end of the New Testament to the book of 1 John. Would you go there real quickly and let's just read a few verses. Agape is God's love because God is love. It is the highest form of love that God has for mankind. And by the way, it is thus the highest form of love that mankind has in turn for God and for His fellow man. Paul prayed for them to abound to exceed, to overflow, to bubble over. Paul prayed for them to abound in agape, that highest form of love, the love that God has toward us. 1 John chapter number 4, we begin reading in verse number 11. The Bible says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. You want people to see God? Let them see God through us. He said, no man hath ever seen God. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. People can see God even though they will never physically see Him. By the way, I think that's why we ought to be very careful. Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments are still real. I think that's why we ought to be very careful about trying to make an image in our mind of who God is. Because God said we should never make any images, whether those are made out of, uh, of wood, out of some metal. We're never to make an image of God. And we need to be careful about making images of God and what we think He looks like and who we think He is necessarily in our minds. We need to be careful about that because the Ten Commandments are still real. I'll give you an example, and, and, and just as a timeout, a side note, I'll give you an example. Just bear with me. There is a popular movie out right now, a movie, movie series called The Chosen. I'm not, I don't even want to know what your thoughts are on it. That, that's not my desire this morning. But... About a month or two ago, I was reading an article and this article was giving all these different quotes from different leaders in Christianity. And I was amazed at these leaders in Christianity. Some of them, their reason for loving this, this series is because the man who plays Jesus Christ, the man, Several of these individuals said, when I look into his eyes, I see the love of Jesus. You've just made an idol out of that man. He's not Jesus. He's not God. You've just made an idol out of him. And I'm thinking to myself, God help us. By the way, that, that's why we ought to be careful in, in, in all areas trying to... You, you see pictures of Jesus Christ and what people think Jesus Christ looked like. With hippie long hair. God help us. And we've made an image out of Jesus Christ. Or an image of Jesus Christ. And we've just transgressed one of the Ten Commandments. By the way, can, can I tell you, I don't have to look in some human being's eyes to see the love of Christ. Now, I, I can, but I don't have to look in some human being's eyes to see the love of Christ. You know where I look? Right here. Right here is where I see the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so we ought to be, be careful about that. But, but people can see God through us, is my point here in 1 John chapter number 4, when we have, the Bible says, love for one another. And His love, the Bible says in verse number 12, is perfected in us. Verse number 13, Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in Him and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in Him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness. Notice this, in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. What did Paul pray for them? Paul prayed for their love to abound, to exceed, to bubble over, excuse me, bubble over, to overflow. He prayed for them to abound. In their agape. Two things about this love. First of all, an abounding love is a growing love. That that just makes sense. I'm really kind of repeating it. That's what abound means, right? It means to exceed. It means to overflow. An abounding love is a growing love. And he says, I I, I pray that your love... Look there again in verse number 9. In Philippians chapter number 1. I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. Now, we'll get to the last part of verse number 9 in just a moment. He says, I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. An abounding love is a growing love. So, Pastor, well, that makes sense. That's what abound means. Okay, but, but think about this. The more my love for God and His Word grows, the more the grip that this world has on me is going to be loosed. Okay, so here here we have the world, and over here we have God. The more my love for God grows and abounds and abounds and abounds, the more God is love, right? We're not talking about the, the, the sensual feeling love that so much of the world thinks about today when they, they hear the word love. Because again, when people hear the word love today, their first, not their first thought, but one of their thoughts is acceptance, tolerance. Right? If you love the way Christ loved, then you'll never say anything against anything. That's not the biblical definition of love. That's the world's definition of love. Anything goes, anything is accepted. But the Bible says that the definition of love is one word. God. So God's love incorporates His grace... His mercy, His righteousness, His immutability, His justice, His holiness, His omnipotence. It incorporates all of that. And Paul said, I I want your love for God and that highest form of love, I want it to abound. Because the more that my love for God and the things of God and the things of the Word grows, the more it grows and the more it grows and the more it abounds and the more it abounds and the more it grows, the more I'm coming closer to God, then what am I leaving? I'm leaving the world. The the grip that the world has on me or sometimes that I have on it is loosed. Can I submit to you this morning why I believe a lot of people who are called to the ministry aren't going to the ministry today? They love the world too much. 
And their love for God needs to abound and abound, and it hasn't. It's not growing. It's not growing. It's not abounding because they're still over here with the world. Well, I, I, I hear this, this, this voice, not audible, but, but the Holy Spirit prodding. I hear this still small voice and I really think God Almighty wants me to, to, to preach or I think God Almighty wants me to go to the mission field. But I like the comforts of America as opposed to the mission field. I like being close to mom and dad as opposed to being thousands of miles away on the mission field. Our love needs to grow. Because when my love for God grows and, and that agape, God, highest form, God's love, when it grows, you know what else? You know what else is going to grow? My love for people. My love for the brethren. But also my love for the lost. Paul said, Paul prayed. I want your love to abound. And abounding love is a growing love. The Apostle Paul said, and we look, I, repetition. But the Apostle Paul said, the love of Christ does what? Constrains me. It, it holds me tight. The love that Christ had for me, it, it constrains me to do what I do. It constrains me to live the way that I live. And the more I grow, and the more I love His Word, and the more I love Him, and the more my love abounds, the more my love for this world is going to lessen and lessen and lessen. Hey parents, let me ask you this morning. If God calls one of your children, or maybe even several of your children, to go to the mission field, are you okay with that? No, I've got to have them right next to me. But what if God wants to use them in a wonderful, miraculous, almighty way? Why would we be so selfish? Just say, oh, I want them right here. I, 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 want, I want Christmases with all of my family. I, I want to be able to see my grandkids. and I want them to be close to me. By the way, I'm, I'm for families being close to each other. But what if God calls them across the ocean? Are we okay with that? What if God calls them to another part of the United States? Would we be okay with that? Paul prayed for them to abound in agape. An abounding love is a growing love. But let me give you number two. An abounding love is a grounded love. An agape love, an abounding love is a growing love. An abounding love is a grounded love. Look what he says in verse number 9. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in... What does he want their love to abound in? Knowledge and in all judgment. In knowledge and in all judgment. One commentator said it this way. Love is not to be mistaken for lust, nor does love operate without law. Love knows its limits. Love knows where to draw the line. Why? Because it knows judgment and it has knowledge. The love of God isn't just uh, this feeling love where we live off of our feelings. Listen, our feelings will get us in trouble. We don't live on feelings. Are feelings good? Sometimes, yes. I like feelings. I wish some of y'all would show that you have some feelings every now and then. I like feelings, but I don't live on feelings. I don't make decisions on feelings. Make decisions. Well, I feel like we should do this. Hold up. What did God say? What does God's Word say? Well, I feel like... No, 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 no. Feelings will get you in trouble every time. We, we, we don't live on feelings. We live on the truth of God's Word. And Paul said, I want your, your love to abound in knowledge and in all judgment. 
Take your Bibles and go just, just a little bit further right to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. An abounding love is a grounded love. It's grounded in God's word. It's grounded in God's truth. It's grounded in God's knowledge. It's grounded in God's judgment. It's grounded in God's holiness. An abounding love is a grounded love. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. Look at verse number 10. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse number 10. Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Verse 11. Now God Himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and what? Abound in what? Love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Paul speaking to the Thessalonians, he says the same thing. Now, he, say, he doesn't say in knowledge and in judgment here. He says, I want it to abound uh, in love one toward another. But notice verse number 13. How does that happen? How do I love my church family? By the way, how do I love my family, my kids, the way that I should? When my love is grounded, established... In God's truth, in God's knowledge, in God's judgment, in God's holiness, that's when I love people the way that I should. Look, I don't, I don't, I don't love my kids, my children, by allowing them to do whatever they want to do. And then say, well, kids will be kids. Yes, they will. Because foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Yes, they will be children. That's where the adults in the room are supposed to help them to grow to spiritual maturity. When I was a child, I spake as a child. But when I became a man, I did what? Put away childish things. We're supposed to help them to be able to do that. And I cannot love them properly, and I cannot love them the way that I should, unless my love is grounded in truth, in knowledge, in discernment, in wisdom, in judgment. Look what he says here in verse number 13. In verse 12 he says, I want you to increase and abound in love one toward another. Verse 13, to the end he may establish your hearts. That word established, that's the idea of founded, of grounded, of having a foundation. He said, establish your hearts unblameable, in what? Holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. And abounding love is a grounded love and it is grounded in God's knowledge. I can't love people the way that I should if I don't know this book. Hey, husbands, this morning, you cannot love your wife the way that you should. I'm not saying you can't love her, but you can't love her the way you should if you don't know this Bible. And what this Bible says about your responsibility as the man and as the husband. Wives, you can't love your husband the way you should unless you know what this Bible says. Kids, you will not love your parents the way that you should unless you know what this Bible says. An abounding love is a, it's a growing love. Yes, that's what abound means. It's a growing love. I, I'm, I'm growing more and more toward God, toward His Word. I'm growing. But it is a grounded word, or excuse me, love. And it is grounded in God's knowledge, His truth, His wisdom. It's grounded in God's judgment, the idea of discernment. Discernment. A word that's lacking in our world today. And instead of discernment, the world uses a perverted definition of love. And they do things based on this perverted definition of love instead of making decisions based on discernment and wisdom and prudence. 
People say, well, these two individuals ought to have the right to get married because they love each other. Well, no, let's go see what the Bible says. And let's make decisions based on knowledge and judgment, discernment, and holiness. So, what should we pray for each other? That we would abound in agape. That we would grow in God's love. That we would be grounded in God's love. That we would abound in God's knowledge. That we would abound in God's judgment. That we would abound and increase in God's holiness. So that we could truly love people the way that we should. So that we could love our spouses, so that we could love our church family, so that we could love the brethren the way that we should, so that we could love the world the way that we should. Paul prayed for them to abound in agape. Here's the truth. God and the world. The closer I get to one, the further I get from the other. The closer I get to one, the further I get from the other. goes both ways. The closer I get to the world, the further I am away from God. The closer I get to God, the further I am away from the world. Paul said, I want your love to abound. God's love. That agape love. The fact that God is love. The very definition of love. Number two. Number one, Paul prayed for them to abound in agape. An abounding love is a growing love. It's a grounded love. Number two, Paul prayed for them. To examine for excellence. Look what the Bible says there in Philippians chapter number 1 and verse number 10. Paul prayed for them to examine for excellence. The word approve there, it means to examine, it means to test, it means to assay. Anybody know what the word assay means? An assayer? He's testing. What is he testing? Okay, boundaries, measurement. What, what materials many times is an assayer testing? Gold. And that word approve, it means to assay, it means to examine, it means to test, as in testing the purity of a metal or a rock. And he says here, Paul says, look, what I, this is what I pray. Look, look at verse number 9 again. And this I pray. In verse number 4, he says, Always in every prayer of mine for you all. Okay, then in verse number 9, he says, Okay, this is what I pray. And this I pray. What is he praying? He's praying for their love to abound, but he's praying for them to approve excellent things. And so, number 2, Paul prayed for them to examine for excellence. So everything in their lives, Paul is saying, you ought to examine that and see if it's excellent or not. You ought to test that. You ought to approve whether it's excellent or not. One man said it this way. He said, it is a wretched taste to be gratified with mediocrity when the excellent lies before us. We settle for mediocrity way too much in our Christian lives. We settle for the fact that I'm living better than my neighbor's living. That I don't talk the way my neighbor talks. Okay, that's good. But the question is, and and the the examination and, and the approval is not, is it good or bad? The examination, the approval for a child of God, is it good or best? And we always choose the best. By the way, the word he uses here is excellent. So number two, Paul prayed for them to examine for excellence. We must examine for excellence in all areas of our life. Spiritually, doctrinally, financially, We must examine for excellence in all areas of our life. Let me give you two thoughts here if I could. How do we examine? What determines that which is excellent? 
Okay, Pastor, so I, I'm supposed to examine for excellence everything in my life. How do I do that? What, I, what do I, is there a tester out there that I can go buy? That I, that I can put it up next to this decision and say, which is the most excellent decision? <laughs> well, most of you don't have to go buy it. You already have it in your laps. You've already bought it. Paul, pray for them to examine for excellence. Two things here. Excellence is approved by the Scriptures and excellence is approved by the Spirit. It's approved by the Scriptures and it's approved by the Spirit. Hey, take your Bibles. We're going to go to the, to the Old Testament. He says, that ye may approve things that are excellent. That's what Paul's praying for these young believers. By the way, Lydia, seller of purple, Philippian jailer, just been saved. They didn't have a spiritual heritage. They didn't grow up in church. They're, they're new believers. So he's praying for them. Hey, I, I know they've got a lot of, probably have a lot of the world in their lives. They, they probably have a lot of Roman influence in their lives. You know what he's praying for them? That every decision they make, they examine it to make sure it's excellent. They examine it to make sure that it's excellent in light of the one who has just saved them. The light of the one who has called them out of the world and, and, and forgiven them of their sins and washed away their sins. Paul says, I'm praying that you'll approve, that you will examine everything, he says. All things. That are excellent. Go with me to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 8. We said first of all, excellence is approved by the scriptures. And then we said secondly, excellence is approved by the spirit. Look with me at Proverbs chapter number 8. Anybody know who is speaking in Proverbs 8? Huh? Somebody say God. Absolutely, God is speaking. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Absolutely, God is speaking. But what is personified? And I heard somebody say it. It's wisdom. Wisdom is speaking in Proverbs chapter 8. Notice what is said in verse number 6. By the way, wisdom is calling for people to listen to her. People in the highways. People in the byways. Come, listen to me. In chapter number 9, wisdom speaks about the fact that she has made a feast. Come, listen to me. Come and sit down and eat at my table and feast upon wisdom and its results. And in verse number 6, she says here, For I will speak of what? Excellent things. And the opening of my lips shall be right things. For my mouth shall speak, verse 7, what? Truth. Excellence is examined and approved by the Scriptures. Excellence is examined and approved by the Spirit. Wisdom says, hear me. I'm getting ready to speak to you. And here's what I'm going to speak to you. Excellent things. Then verse 7, I'm going to speak truth to you. That's why it's excellent. Because it's truth. Hey, take your Bibles and go to the book of Daniel. We're going to, we're going to end here today. Daniel chapter number 1. Daniel chapter number 1. Paul prayed for them to examine for excellence. See, we li we listen, listen, listen. We live in such a day that, that there, there's such a casual attitude toward everything. Now I get, listen, I get there are times to be casual, right? But there is such a, an attitude, a pervasive attitude that's come into our world and into our society and into our churches that is so casual. And because of that, we have accepted mediocrity. 
instead of examining and approving that which is excellent. Whenever we make a decision, whenever we get up in the morning, is what I'm going to do today, what I'm going to be involved in today, is that excellent? Is it the best? Not is it good or bad, because here's the truth. Most of us this morning, now some of us still don't have this down and we still need to work on this, but most of us this morning, we know what's good and bad. But we don't always know what's good and best. Boy, there's the rub. We have to choose between the good and the best. Before I went to college, for about six months, I was dating a young lady before I went to college. And when I went to college, you know, the, oh, we'll still write each other, oh, I'll write you every day, and blah, 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 blah. And so I go to college, and I'm seven, eight hours away from this young lady, and the Lord began to work in my heart. I began to grow a little bit closer to the Lord and in the Word. And the Lord began to work in my heart. And it wasn't, ma- it wasn't a matter of distance. It was just a matter of the Holy Spirit pricking and showing and the Word of God and the Spirit together showing it's not the young lady I want you to marry. It's not the young lady you need to be with. Because she's not the excellent one for you. Can I tell you this morning, if I had continued... By the way, she went to church. She was a good young lady. She was a Christian. She was faithful to church. I'm not degrading her this morning whatsoever. She wasn't the best for me. And can I tell you, if I had continued to court and date this young lady... And if we had eventually gotten married, can I tell you what? I would have never come here. Because she wouldn't have come with me. But God gave me the wife that He knew I needed the best and the excellent. Because He gave me a wife who was submitted to Him. And who said, wherever the Lord takes you, we'll go. And wherever the Lord desires and whatever He desires for us to do, we'll do it. If I had married her, we wouldn't have done that. And he said, well, Pastor, maybe she would have grown. Maybe. But at the time, the Lord's working in my heart and showing me. And and it was no fun. Because you know what? Here's the thing. Guys don't handle things well. Girls, let me just tell you this. Guys don't handle things well. You know how guys handle... The fact that they know they need to stop a relationship, they just quit communicating. Man, I don't want to hurt her. I don't want to tell her, so they're just not going to call her anymore. That works really well. I'm just not going to communicate. Hey, she's seven hours away. That'll work great until you have to go home in the summer. Many times it's not the bad and the good. It's the good and the best. And God's asking for us to examine right beside, lay it beside God's Word and let the Spirit and God's Word, the Scriptures work together and examine, test, approve, assay. Is it excellent? Is it pure? Look in Daniel chapter number 1. Excellence is approved by the Scriptures. Look at Daniel 1. Verse that probably many of you in here this morning know. Daniel 1, in verse number 8, we know the context. Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they've been taken uh, to Babylon. And by the way, many other young men as well. There's just four of them who stood out. You know why they stood out? The Bible tells us specifically about Daniel. Because he had an excellent spirit. In Daniel 1.8, the Bible says, but Daniel, what's the next word? Purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel purposed in his heart. How did he know? 
I shouldn't eat this meat. I shouldn't drink this wine. How did he know that? Somebody taught him. Somebody had taught him from God's Word. Excellence is approved by the Scriptures. It's approved by the Spirit. Look, look at a couple of the verses. Chapter number 5. Daniel chapter number 5. Notice verse number 12. The Bible says, For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. Look at verse number 14. I have even heard of thee that the spirit of the gods is in thee and that light and understanding and what? What's the word there? Excellent what? Wisdom is found in thee. In verse number 14, here's a heathen, not a Christian. He says, I see something different in Daniel. He has the, the spirit of the gods. Now, he says gods because he doesn't know the God, but he said there's something different and it's the spirit of the gods. That light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And look at chapter number 6, verse 3. Chapter 6, Daniel 6, verse 3. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because what? An excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Paul prayed for them to abound in agape. Paul prayed for them to examine for excellence. Hey, young man, don't, don't just fall for the first young lady who comes by and, and raises her eyebrows toward you. Now, she might be the one, but if she raises her eyebrows and, and flirts with you, she's probably not the one. Hey, I'm trying to help you this morning. You want to live a life of regret choosing that which isn't what God wants for you? Or you want to allow God to choose that which is excellent for you? Now I understand our world has cowered us into this thinking that Christians ought not use the word excellent, that, that, that uh, there ought not be excellence in, in any area of our lives. I understand this mediocre society and culture has cowered us into that, but God's Word ought to bring us out of that. Because God's Word said that a young man like Daniel had an excellent spirit in him and because of that, the heathen people in Babylon noticed a difference. Now, I'm not talking about pride this morning. I'm talking about excellence being submitted to an excellent God. Now let me ask you this morning, how did all this turn out for Daniel? Might be a teenager in here this morning. So, well, Pastor, if I if I live for God and I do all these things, people will make fun of me. If I if I don't drink the wine and eat the meat, my buddies at school will laugh at me. Might be some adults in here this morning. You say, well, you know, if I if I act a little bit different at work, and if I don't drink when we're out at functions and occasions, if I don't sit at the bar and drink with all my coworkers, they're going to laugh at me. We look at Daniel chapter 1, we'll finish here, we'll be done. Are you there? Daniel 1. Daniel chapter 1. This is after they have not eaten the meat. They've been given the, the pulse, the, the soup, the bean soup, if you want to call it that. Verse 12, pulse, and they've been given water to drink. No wine, no meat, no Coca-Cola. Uh, they've had pulse and water. Notice what verse 20 says. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them... What's the next word? What's the next word? What's the next word? Ten times better. It's not a matter of pride. Well, I want to be ten times better than everybody. That's not the issue. That wasn't the issue for Daniel. You know what the issue for Daniel was? I want to examine for excellence. Everything that comes into my life, I'm going to examine it and see if it's excellent. Based on what I was taught back in Jerusalem, I'm going to examine it from God's Word to see if it's excellent or not. 
And I'm going to have a different spirit in me because of the spirit that I allow to lead me. And the Bible says that after all was said and done, after the meat and the drink, the wine and the meat, and after they ate pulse and they drank water, and when all was said and done, in all matters of wisdom, see, it's not even speaking about their health here, their, their physical. It's speaking about wisdom and understanding. Now, the physical part, they were still better as well. But it says, in all matters of wisdom and understanding. When the king would come and inquire and ask, what should I do here? In matters of wisdom and understanding, in consulting the king, he found them, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. How can I pray for you? You know how Paul prayed? He prayed for them to abound in agape. And he prayed for them to examine for excellence. He prayed for them to... Do you do that? Hey, adults, moms and dads, just adults, grandmas and grandpas. The decisions we make, do we examine those decisions for excellence? Is this the best decision for me to make? Is this the best way for me to go? Hey, young people in here today, you're not married yet? Hey, before you get married, examine. Is this a young man who's going to lead me toward God? Hey, young lady, if you've got a young man who hardly ever comes to church, you ought to examine that. Young man, if you're dating a young lady and she hardly ever comes to church, you ought to examine that based upon God's Word. Don't settle for less than God's excellence for you. Don't settle. Let me read it again. I'll be done. It is a wretched taste to be gratified with mediocrity when the excellent lies before us. You're a child of the King. The excellent lies before you. Father, thank You for Your Word this morning. Help us. Father, move us in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits based upon what we've heard today. Father, help us to approve those things that are excellent. Help, to, help us to put... Uh, them, those decisions, help us to put them up against your word and examine them and test them and approve them. Father, help us to abound in your love. Father, help us to grow more and more. Father, help us to grow closer to you and to your word. And so, Father, I pray that you'd work in our hearts even this morning. Father, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Heads bowed and eyes closed. The platform's open.